These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me tonight, I have John Wayne the Third with me for his indie project. He's a writer and producer of the film Ebony Hustle. Say hello to everybody. All right, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and thank you for wanting to do this interview. I just want to say it's a privilege to be able to have you on the show. And I, matter of fact, I told you this before we went live that I did wind up checking out the film. I also went on ahead and watched the music video for Church. I forgot to tell you that, too. So we're going to get into that as well, because I'm interested to know your budget. I'm interested to know where the idea came from, the concept of everything. So let's go on ahead and get started with it. So here's the thing. I like the concept of what you were going for with this movie, um, where you actually have this stripper who actually turns uh, P.I., in the story, and then she's using her body in a way to get information out of every out of the perks that she's trying to investigate, and then she she's basically seducing them without having to sleep with them. I think it's intelligent. Okay, all right, yes. So it's the idea is pretty, pretty much an ex stripper turns private investigator. The idea that she was a stripper once; those qualities and things that she had before didn't go away. But her need to help people and be there for people in the community kind of transcend from being a stripper to uh, servicing people in the community. Right. And also, too, another thing I want to mention is this, and I'm curious about this. What was the budget like whenever you were working on this film and the scouting agents as well, whenever you're trying to look for a location to film in this area, film this film? So it was not a really big budget. I don't want to give exact numbers, but it was... uh, not very big. Um, but and we also were doing it during COVID, which added an extra layer of cost because we had to adhere to certain COVID things and there are certain things we couldn't couldn't do. And there are certain locations we couldn't go to because they were closed. A lot of stuff was closed because of COVID. So we had to really kind of make do staying true to the storyline, but at the same time making do with uh, what we uh, had to work with. Right, exactly. And, you know, you had to make do with what you had and everything else. And I think that was one of the main concerns is trying to be able to do this in a world where we have COVID and trying to not trying not to break the rules or anything like that when it comes down to COVID and stuff like that. And I think you guys did a great job at that. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, it was really was a, a mass between the story was a mix between what the distributor was trying to get and our ability to tell the story within those confines, you know? So 
we had kind of, when we came up with the idea about Ebony Hustle, it was kind of based off of the, the idea of the old 70s show called The Rockford Files. While the guy went to prison for something he said he didn't commit, he got out of jail and he decided to become a private investigator. But he would use people that he knew from when he was jailed to help him solve crime. So a guy works at the mayor's office, the water department, in different places to help him solve uh, the crimes in, the, in this community that he was hired to do. In this aspect, uh, Ebony's everyday job as a private investigator is to do workers' uh, uh, comp uh, claims. So people have a, a workers' comp claim, unemployment claim. They will send her out to verify if the person actually deserves this claim. Uh, when she initially uh, uh, got the uh, asked by somebody in the neighborhood to actually help them with this missing girls case, her reaction was initially no, because I don't do missing kids. I only do work as comp. But through a series of events, she decides to help this young lady find her daughter. And you see, I like that aspect of this woman who's trying to help her find her daughter and stuff like that. And then what you find out that there's this uh, church that's involved with the disappearance of her daughter, and he's basically holding her to basically ransom if you think about it but not paying a ransom or anything like that but just corrupting the 16 year old uh, daughter's mind to where she can't leave and having that anxiety over the fact that she can't leave this church and you know we have stuff like that's going on into the world today where there's corruption within the church sadly there's different th different p ways of bending the truth of the Bible and things like that to their own benefit. And I could definitely see how this is being played out into this kind of world and this kind of setting with that, which I find very fascinating, but also very ballsy to be able to do something like that. Yeah. So the, uh, one of the characters, uh, Caleb Truth, Caleb is an ex gangster turned uh, uh, gospel uh, rapper. So he is like a mix between R. Kelly and Kanye West. He likes young girls, but he has a God complex, which is not a very good combination. No, definitely not a good combination at all. And also, too, it's all about serving self rather than serving God and what he believes. So it's all about self-serving rather than being replicated up to someone, to a higher power. And that's something that it's being taught within the church itself today. It's all about self-pleasing self. And also, too, when you look at this character, it's very relatable. People can actually tell what the, what this character is and who this character is, with, whether you're watching a church, certain church sermon or anything like that. They can actually turn on their TV and they can say, oh, you know what? Caleb reminds me of this preacher here or reminds me of this person over here. So that's something that I like the fact that it's very relatable in that aspect where people can relate to. Because I think that sometimes it's hard to be able to find things to relate to on some aspect on some movies and things like that. But this actually is, to be honest with you, like I said, it's very ballsy on how you guys managed to do that and make certain characters very relatable and say, you know what? I, I think that I fit in with this character over here. Maybe I'm an Ebony who is a, not a PI, but someone that is strong build and strong willed and doesn't take no crap from anybody, but will use her powers for what it need for what she, she has and be able to be that strong character for somebody. So I can tell that that's something that they can relate to. Yeah, so I, I have to thank, I have two other two writing partners that I thank for that, uh, Nia Cachet and Frank Overton. They really kind of help help us, help me, you know, craft that story to where it was relatable. 
with Nia Cachet's really great dialogue and with Frank's really great structure of the story, I think that we were just like you said, we, we, we was able to tell a really good story that people could relate to. Exactly. And also, too, another thing that I really have to say that I really enjoyed whenever it comes down to it is the fact that I know that we talked about this before we started the show was the fact that, you know, it was during COVID. It was hard to go into the strip club area and stuff like that. And also to have a set that was built for a strip club because of the fact that with COVID, it was hard to be able to do that. And I even told you this, I like the monologue that uh, that's coming out of Ebony's mouth where she's explaining her background into a flashback kind of setting and giving us uh, layers to her character and character build up to understand her. And I think it works in a, without having to see the strip club or anything like that. I think it's perfectly well executed down to that kind of level. And I think that it's, it's perfect the way it is without having to show all that because I'm a guy and everything. I don't need to be shown a strip club or anything like that. I think that everybody knows the inside of a strip club without having to show anything. And then just going on ahead and going into the back room is perfect. So I'm going to get some also because, you know, filmmaking is a cooperative process that I cannot do a film by myself. So one of the uh, consultants that we brought on, uh, Nia uh, Cooper, she she helped us a lot. She was an ex stripper and she gave us a lot of insight into how their minds work, how they process information and how they're able to maneuver things in certain ways. So. With her, you know, talking with the writing team and uh, getting us all on board, I think that that really kind of helped kind of uh, craft that story in a way that people could really understand. I definitely agree with that, man. I think that that's actually a solid way of telling a story and doing story building, to be honest with you. And I think that's actually a smart way to go about it. And uh, like I said, this thing is very good. Um, no wonder why this is actually the talk of some film festivals and things like that that I've noticed. And because I did a little bit of research on certain um, indie film festivals that you were a part of, and you guys got some buzz going on. I just want to say congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was, it is definitely a process doing a film, any film, indie film or just a regular film. It, it is a process within itself. And we did get a lot of love from a lot of festivals. We entered probably about 60 festivals and probably over about 35 awards. So we were very blessed to, to get the attention and people are talking about it. So when it comes out on December the 1st, I'm hoping that uh, that translates into streams. I hope so, man. I really do, because I think you have something special and something that's worth telling, you know, and Jenny Lambert wanted me to tell you congratulations <laughs> as well. And, you know, I like the fact of how passionate you are with this project and how you want to be able to have this story being told. And also, too, the direct the directing of this film was very good with the camera angles. You got to see everything within the shots of the camera angles. Cause I'm a huge fan when it comes down to camera angles, because I feel like you don't have, need to have dialogue to, sh to be able to explain anything. As long as you have a certain element in a camera angle to be able to describe the character, because to me, camera angles to me is a character can turn into a character on its own to be yeah. able to give you range and emotion and depth into their character. And I think that that's what this movie did, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, I'm sorry. So the, the film was directed, I'm the producer and the writers, but the film was directed by Jamez Hampton. He is a young director from Chicago that I met a couple of years ago. 
the reason why I chose him to to do this, um, I had directed a feature. I've directed a couple of. I've done a lot of stuff, but I directed this feature a couple of years ago called Red All Over. Red All Over is about a young boy who actually shoots a girl, but it's told from the producer, from the a victim and the uh, the shooter's perspective, which I tried to do that effectively. But I was in Atlanta doing a press junket for the movie, and you go to press junkets, and you know people actually use questions and stuff like right. that. But this young guy, young filmmaker, came up to me. He was like. Um, he wanted to get insight, you know, how to get into the business. And usually, I usually have this like real can response. I, I told him, I said, you know, you have something that I didn't have uh, growing up. I said, you have Google. If you had Google the right question, you get the right answer. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you know what, John? I don't even know what the right question to ask. And so what that made me start thinking is that there are a lot of young filmmakers out here who've done tons of music videos and maybe some commercials, but they don't really understand the business of how filmmaking works. And they want to go to the next level, but they're, they just don't know what to do. So I, I set out to try to give them some opportunity. I went to a couple, talked to a couple of distributors. Uh, most of them wanted me to direct. They didn't want me to give a chance to somebody else because they wanted to make sure it was right. But I did find uh, actually two who were willing to work with me and said, Hey, if you can have someone else direct, as long as you produce and make sure it's right, it's okay. So when I partnered with uh, Maverick and then we came up with this concept of Ebony Hustle, one of the first people I thought about was was Jamas, and he just kind of ran right to it. And he his young eagerness, he just kind of really worked out really well. That's awesome. And my my question is this: What other projects did he work on before meeting up with you to the point where you're like you know what I think that this is the right person for me and what I want to do. Well, Jamaz had done a lot of commercials. He had done a lot of music videos uh, in Chicago. I had uh, directed an episode of an international series uh, a couple of years ago, which is where I met him. So he was one of the camera guys on it. So I, we connected uh, on that particular project. Uh, but I saw him over the course of the time. I saw him building his career. He had done, This is his first feature. This is his first feature. He had never done a feature before. So this is me reaching back out and giving an opportunity to uh, another young filmmaker so he can uh, be progressive. I think that's great, man. I mean, it's showing you respect to upcoming filmmakers who wants to do something within the business and giving them a job to do and taking a chance on them and have something on their IMDb to where the, maybe another director might want to reach out to them. I think that's great uh, to be able to work with somebody that's independent like that and will in giving them a shot. So I think that's great. Yeah, thank you. So I have a couple other projects that I really am trying to mentor young filmmakers, not just guys, but women too. Right, right, right. Opportunities to to write and to direct and produce. You know, I being a producer and a director, I try to encourage uh, young guys to try to do, understand both. They don't have to do both of them, you know. But understand, if you understand how the business part works, it helps you creatively because you can kind of figure out what you can and cannot do. When you don't have the imbalance you, you tend to ask for stuff and do things that's kind of like out of the range of reality. It gives you the balance. And the more they understand the business aspect, I really believe it makes you a better creative. Most definitely, because you'll be able to understand the business from both sides and all perspectives, producing, writing, directing, everything. And I think it's important to learn all of the areas that you need to learn, not just acting or anything like that, because there could be other areas that you don't know that you're good at and you wind up saying, well, you know what, maybe I shouldn't go in here and take a crack at directing. I never thought I would actually be a director or anything like that. So that's another thing. Also too, I'm actually the type of person that enjoys diversity within film, 
which is also another reason why I wanted to have you on here was because I want to talk about diversity in film because I think that's a big thing to have, especially when we have the Black Panther, for example, who had a great run at the movie theaters at the time where you have black representation, people or characters that they can relate to on the screen for the very first time. And I think that's a beautiful thing to be able to have characters that people can relate to and di having diversity and being different is a great thing to yeah. have. It is very important, especially young uh, filmmakers of color and just young kids of color to see representation of themselves on television. I always use the example of uh, Barack Obama becoming the president. Although I never wanted to be the president, but by him becoming president, it made me believe that I could. And just an idea is a very powerful thing in a young person's mind. The idea that they could do something, it makes it. Because before that, you know, you kind of, you know, as a black, I'm, a, I'm originally from Chicago. I'm from okay. South Chicago. So my possibility of life that's in the system is really not that great, you know. So for me to even get to the points that I have done and things have been in the rooms I've been in, it's, it's a blessing because, you know, the odds were against me. But by seeing people that look like me, achieving things that I dream of, it makes me feel like that it's a possibility that I could do it, you know? And it is very important that not just you have like the producers and directors, but you also need craft people. You need the set dressers, you need the designers, you need the editors, you need the sound people. You need to do all things because everybody can direct and produce. Everybody can't write, but you have a skill inside of that you can participate in the film industry without having to do all these other things. And so you can contribute in where your blessing and where your gift is at. Exactly, because I think that that's a smart thing to do as well. And here's the thing. I like what you said about the fact that when Barack Obama became president, it was like you, there was a possibility that you could become president and everything. But even though that you don't think, you know, it gives you some abilities of a hope yeah. of saying, you know what? It's not that far of a reach like I thought. It makes you go on ahead, take a step back, and just like, could I? Yes. Could I really do that? And then also, too, even with directing or acting or anything like that, you're like, you know what? This is not so far reach out of my hands like I thought. This actually gives me more willpower than what I thought. It gives me a voice to tell the stories that I want to tell. It allows me to have the motivations that I want to tell. And also, too, it also provides jobs for other people within the industry, male, female, anyone that is good at costume designing, uh, music backgrounds coming together as one for one project and being and, that, and this is why I also named it Movie Lovers Unite is to feel united and feel yeah. loved because going to the movies to me you can forget about religion you can forget about everything and be in a crowded room with strangers and be just geeked out over certain moments yeah. in a movie and you share an experience that you never thought you could before Yes. And I think that's also the same goes for behind the scenes as well, because you do feel united. You're you never would have met anybody else outside the, in this industry if it wasn't for other people bringing in other personalities coming in. And you're hoping to God that these personalities don't clash or they get along. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, OK, I know that my what my personality is, but I don't know what. Uh, personality A is a B or C is, and I'm hoping that those personalities will actually work for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of it is people coming together to work together as a team and not against each other because mm -hmm. they're on the same team and they want it to succeed. 
You know what? The, I look at when putting together a crew for, for any production, I look at it this way. Nobody is required to work for me. Every time mm-hmm. somebody says yes to collaborate with me, to work with me, I'm, I'm humble because you don't have to. You know, and so getting the right people around you to say yes to work with you, that is like really a blessing. And then, you know, to have like that, you know, you worked on sets where at the end of it, people hate to leave each other. They become a family. You know, that is something that does not always happen. I've worked on sets where people just like, I came to get my check. I came to work on this project and that's it. And I work on stuff like, oh my God, we have to do something tomorrow because I don't want this to leave. You know, I, I don't want this to go away. Exactly. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos and stuff like that. And I've been watching, listening to The Sopranos podcast, talking Sopranos podcast, and they talked about how loving they were towards each other. It felt like a family. And then once the family broke up after six or seven years of them being together, it was that brokenness and hoping that they could go to another set and feel that emotion again. But then they realize it's only a one-time experience. Chances is they may not even experience that again, which is a sad thing because you want to, because you get so spoiled off of doing a certain season. You're with those people forever that you feel like family. And then you get into another set. It's completely different. It's like, give me my paycheck. I'm here for my paycheck. Let me leave and do my thing. Yeah. Which is not, uh, which I don't like that kind of attitude. Also too. I also have a director friend who just got done filming his horror film and they feel like family and stuff like that. So I think that's a good thing to have. Uh, so this is also came into, came in. Uh, what is, uh, here's the thing. What does the director want the audience to walk away with, with, uh, from Ebony Hustle? Well, I'm not the director. I'm the producer and the writer. So right. I can kind of tell you from that perspective. What I feel like when somebody walks away from this movie, because it's a strong land woman uh, picture, I think they should walk away with the fact, that, especially from a woman's perspective, that anything is possible, that she's to con- she is in control of her destiny, regardless of what people might think about her, what they feel like she's been, what her background is, that she is in control of her destiny and she is in control of how her life is. A lot of times people walk on autopilot based off of what other people think they should do. Ebony is a strong character to where she She's willing to work with you to make things done, but at the end of the day, it's like, look, that doesn't work for me, and I need to chart my own course. Right, and I like that about her, though. It's like, what may work for you may not work for me. You go your way, I'll go my way. We don't cross between, and that's also what makes her a great character to be able to have, give her choices, and based on those choices and everything, she questions her own inability and her own power and her own strengths and be like, well, can I go down this road that this other person's on or not? Because this road may not be necessarily good for me. And I like that. I like that self-motivation and that questioning within Ebony's self to be able to know that. So I think that's also another good thing about the writing in this film as well uh, that I wanted to point out. Oh, thank you. You know, the thing about it is going back to this whole relatable thing, we really tried to create uh, situations and things that people could directly connect with because we all, you know, as individuals struggle with, you know, which things that we should and shouldn't do. Uh, things past we should attach ourselves to, past we shouldn't attach ourselves to. And not giving too much of the story away, just heard an argument with her friend. They have two totally different opinions about, you know, Caleb. And, you know, 
you 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 look at it as reality, but at the same time, you kind of think like, is that right or wrong? You know, so that was a struggle with their friendship. It was a struggle with their decisions about life, which we all have to deal with every day. You see, I like that, though. The back and forth between her and her friend was something because we have arguments with our friends all the time. We have debates with our friends all the time. And the interaction and the conflict between the friendship is what I really liked about it. That, that, that dynamic between them was really good to be honest with you and also too even the dating stuff like <laughs> she's middle-aged and it's just the dating world is just chaotic in, in itself and then she's getting all these random messages with dick pics and stuff like that and she's like and she's even questioning it is like hmm, this and just turn the angles <laughs> stuff like that but then she comes to her senses though i like how she comes to her senses really quickly it's like okay i'm not who you think i am i'm not gonna be this woman that's just gonna lay it out to be honest with you it's like yeah that's what you think that i am but that's not who i am as a person or individual and i'm not gonna be the one who just forks it out and say here 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 i'm just gonna give you some giving you my meat on the platter you're going to have to work for that. If you don't work for that, you don't get none. And if I, you don't get none, I don't get none. And I'll just move on my way. Yeah. And I like that. One of the things about the movie, outside of being uh, uh, um, a private investigator, an ex-stripper, is that she's a cougar. She is, you know, she's up in her age. She's a little bit older. So she doesn't really understand that the dynamics of young. But the problem with her, just like great superheroes and great heroes, she has a weakness, and her kryptonite is young guys. She likes young guys. She can't seem to get enough of them. But when she gets involved with them, what happens is that it always kind of throws her off and doesn't keep her in track of what she needs to do. Right. And uh, let's see here. Thomas Anderson asked, uh, what were some of the challenges in pro uh, pro producing this film besides COVID uh, pre precautions? Uh, one of the challenges in any, any film is the budget. I mean, Obviously, we wish, to be, wish we could tell, you know, have a bigger budget, but we try to tell a compelling story. You know, you ever saw an indie film and the, the, the colors and stuff is all off, but the story is very compelling. At the end of the day, regardless of what camera you use, because we use a really great camera and we have a really good crew, we try to tell a compelling story, regardless of what our budget. So budget is always a concern. But I always tell people, quality has nothing to do with quantity. You still have to tell the story. I still have to produce. I still have to have good writing. And if you do all those particular things, everything else will kind of come together. Exactly. Because as long as the person is walking away and with a story and also being able to learn from something within a film, you have something. If it sticks with you at the end of the day, it's, it's golden. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm just going to use an example. Um, I hope you don't mind. But I ended up uh, watching a short film from the Holly Shorts Film Festival called Punch Drunk. Mm -hmm. And that movie's about a woman who's having cervical cancer. And, you know, I'm not a woman or anything like that, so I don't know what it's like to have cervical cancer. But that movie made me question, question things about what women go through and how they're thinking and what their thinking is. And it stuck with me through the whole entire week, all the way up until the interview with, with them. And, you know, I think that is one of the beautiful things with filming is yeah, the production could be 
off canny or whatever because of the budget. But as long as someone is walking away from something, then that's then that's being told. That that's a little spark to where it has positive word of mouth and be able to get the ball moving to onto bigger prod, projects and everything else after this small indie project. So I think it's a beautiful thing. That's important. That goes back to just the people that are around you. You know, when you when I go to people and try to crew up and I try to have a concept that we have to write and everything, I have to implore people that are going to buy into the idea that I'm selling them, the idea and the concept that I, I need for you to be a part of this team. And so a lot of times people want to be belong to something that's bigger than them. And they want to be a part of concepts and things that, that feel that they can connect with. And the thing about it is, is that, and I tell people, especially young people all the time, I said, don't worry so much about what your budget and money is. You just need to go out and get people who believe in you as a person. And if they believe in you as a person, then they'll believe in the story that you're trying to tell. Exactly. As long as you're honest with yourself and also what you're writing, it's going to be amplified through your writing. It's going to be amplified through the characters and the character building of what you're trying to create. If it's something that's forced from the pages onto the screen, it's going to be told. It's going to be shown that, and the audience is going to be taken out of that moment and and stuff like that. So I think that's a very key thing to have is this the honesty in your writing and be able to have those building blocks to the point where, you know, it's like just being honest with yourself, being honest with your writing, be honest with the characters that you're trying to create and trying to build the universe around those characters that people can relate to. And as long as you have those things, people are going to walk out very satisfied and say, you know what? I had fun watching this film and I want to see more. I want to see more from this director. I want to see more from this writer, producer, or I want to see a sequel. I want to see more of a story from Ebony. I want to see more of her. And I, I, to be honest with you, I could see this probably being another sequel or a sequel film or something down the road. Just for the fact that you have a strong-willed character that doesn't take no crap from anybody. And she doesn't show weakness. And if she does show weakness, she reminds me of someone that's strong, but she can also hold her own and also go in secret and be able to let herself go a little bit to where the shield is off, and then that's more of herself. Yes, yes, I believe that's true. There's another element to this movie, too, that I, I want to talk about, and that is the the idea of product placement. There are nine product placement companies that we work with. Traditionally, when you do features, and what I've done in the past, when I get a script, I send it to a placement agency, and they look at it, and they try to find people that fit. Most of the time, they try to find people who can pay the fee. But I didn't want to do that this time. I really wanted to try and find products and companies that have really strong products, have really strong social media, really viable stores online that have products that traditionally would not be able to afford the product placement. So I actively sought out. I probably talked to maybe about two, three hundred companies and I was able to narrow down to nine companies that actively that I felt I could do it. It wasn't so much just putting stuff in there, but actually Welve into the storyline, which you really didn't, you know, know that it was there. To I go back and you can point out all the product placement, but they were put into the story in a way that it kind of made sense. These are all companies that are minority-owned companies. They're black-owned companies from uh, liquor companies, vitamins, uh, headgear. The, the, the scene where the guy has the uh, playing the game, he has the game, he has phones. Young guy in uh, California has a gaming head that he's creating and he's selling. 
You know, there's a couple in Atlanta that has a vitamin. They don't just slap in the name on something. They actually have vitamins they do. There's a, a woman in uh, on the East Coast who has a beer company that follows beer. So there are a variety of different people that came together to work with us to really try to uh, help them instead of just, you know, us looking for money for them to pay for the product placement. That's pretty cool. I'm going to come back to the product placement thing because there's something I really want to ask, tell you about the product placement in this film in a, in a minute. But Karen Wallace has a question. She said, she's asking, are you currently working on any other projects? Is it possible for me to assist or learn more about the movie business? John, I really admire your work and commitment. Yes, I am. I have another feature that we're doing called False Profits. False Profits, um, we probably start somewhere at the time at the beginning of the year. It is about um, a woman who, oh, who father has a church. And uh, what she does is that she has a Ponzi scheme to build people out of money uh, at the church. So it's a very layered. It's a lot of music involved into it. Uh, it was based off of an episode of MSNBC's uh, American Greed, where a woman father owned a church and she had a Ponzi scheme. People had uh, foreclosures to uh she got like 15 million dollars out of these people and she eventually went to jail so we did kind of spin on it not exactly the same thing but she has a ponzi scheme to do that that's pretty interesting i, I want to see more about that whenever it gets played out and everything and have you back on here for that because i i'm definitely into some, uh corruption things like that within different businesses even churches and stuff like that too so i would like to actually do a follow-up later on sometime in the future when you guys get the ball rolling because I'm very interested in that. Um, but back over to the product placement. Here's the thing that I appreciate about the product placement that you placed in this film. No, normally product placement gets on my nerves. Because sometimes you can have too much product placement to the point where it takes you out of a movie. With this one, it actually amplifies the story versus it uh, just slapping a name tag on it, like you said. Because I've seen it in the Michael Bay Transformer movies. Everything was just tacked on as a product placement it was like watching a two and a half hour super bowl commercial of spinning camera angles of featuring the transformers and with your product placement it's genius on the way you're doing it and stuff like that because you're over there you're basically doing a hustle where you're trying to get the best products for your uh story to where it can be told and also amplify it to where it becomes a character as well Mm -hmm. Because who knew that product, some people don't realize this, but product placement can actually be a character in its own self because it can tell a story about the characters or whatever drink that they're drinking. Yes, uh, I know Dominic Coretto, uh, for example, from Fast and the Furious drinks Corona, but mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you see a character drinking, uh, drinking something from Ebony uh, Hustle and they're like, wait, what's that drink? I want to go ahead and drink what she's drinking because maybe it made me make me strong like she is and yeah. makes me want to go ahead and kick some ass and take some names and i want to have that drink too yeah. so you have like a character bonding kind of situation with product placement yes yes and stuff like did. that too yes we did so I, I really reached out these are partners what we're going to do we're going to do, going to do a layered uh, campaign with them once the movie comes out on december 1st to where I didn't want to just do something just for them to send us project. What we're going to do is a campaign to where people have to answer questions about the movie, where the scenes with their product is. So that means they have to look at the movie 
and then answer the question and then enter a sweepstakes to win product for whatever the, mm. one of the nine companies. So it, it worked for both of We get people to actually look at the movie, but then they look at the movie and identify their brand and the product in the movie, and then they can benefit from that kind of uh, connection. Did I lose you? All right, we're back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologize. Some just, tech problems, it, it happens sometimes on this channel. I do apologize. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So, it's okay. Uh, give me one second. I just got to reset something real quick. I do apologize to everybody. Just give me one second. So, I mean, as you do that, just say, you know, we shot Ebony a Hustle in December of uh, last year in Houston, Texas. Uh, so fortunately enough, it was not cold. There were some days that were kind of less cold than others. Uh, one of the reasons I came to Texas uh, like 17 years ago was because I got tired of being cold. So <laughs> the weather being nice is a really great thing. I really wish that we could shoot more things in, uh, in, in Texas because the weather that's nice all the way through the year. As compared to Chicago, we do sous-chef stuff in Chicago in the wintertime, but, you know, it's not really that advantageous, especially being outside. Right. And I can imagine that, you know, shooting something out in the wintertime at Chicago can also be challenging in itself with the weather conditions and things like that. So, you, of course, you want to go ahead and go to, like, Atlanta or somewhere where it might be a little bit easier to film versus doing something in the wintertime in Chicago. Yeah. So I totally understand that. Um, oh my God film says, believing that great lessons are learned through the journey. What are some things learned from producing Ebony? So I have been producing for about 28 years. Um, like I said, I was really from Chicago and I started off with doing music videos, but see, I started off with a filmmaker shooting with real film and real cameras. So that's where my background comes in. So the whole process of buying the cans, cans of film, the process, developing the transfer, the process of filmmaking. When I eventually kind of switched over to digital, when you when you used to having all these bells and whistles of things you need, it was really kind of hard for me to go to digital because I feel like I need all these things. What I learned a lot with Ebony Hustle from uh, shooting my last feature, uh, Red All Over, was that I was able to really... I really kind of, because the budget wasn't that big, was able to hone down the things that I thought was important in telling the story and the things that I felt like we need. I think I became a better producer because of it. I think it's a, you know, both of the projects, you know, they're like kids. I think Red All Over is a beautiful thing. I love it to the day I, until I die. But I think Red All Over is a better. I had, I felt like I did better music. I think I felt like I, I was better able to do the product placement better. I was, it was just a better production because I was able to really hone on and learn from what I learned from the last film to bring on to this one. It's always a good thing to be able to bring on something that you learned and be able to use it uh, in your catalog, in your head, and be like, you know what? It worked better on this, so therefore I can bring that in to this and to this perspective, and it makes things a lot easier for me because of the fact that I learned from that experience, and because I learned from that experience, I could bring this in. So I definitely like that as well. He's a filmmaker, so I'm going to tell him something. This may seem really simple that I feel like it's insightful. It seems really small, but it's... So when I did Red All Over, 
we had a much bigger budget. But with Red All Over, um, we 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 supplied during lunchtime cans of soda. So we bought tons of soda. We, we bought tons of soda. That is very expensive, getting people soda every day. Especially people don't drink it all. They just kind of drink a half a can and just, you know, put it on the side. So this time we used, uh, we made lemonade. And we had lots of water. So lemonade and water, people didn't seem to have a problem with. So if they didn't drink their whole cup of lemonade, it was okay. It seems very simple, but it's a very big thing in the line item when you're trying to budget. Can you buy all these cans of soda or can we just kind of deal with just water and lemonade? And it worked well. I'm assuming that the crew was okay with that because nobody complained about it. But it seems really small, but from a budget standpoint, it was a big thing. Right, because if you spend X amount of money on soda, maybe some people might not drink. You're spending X amount of dollars on something that could be wasted, and you can actually spend X amount of dollars on a certain scene that you never thought you could get, and therefore you can sacrifice the sodas and have lemonade and water because it's actually cheaper, and then cut down on the cost, and you can have a good scene that you wanted to put into the film. Or if there's a certain product that you wanted to have in, you can have that in there as well, for something that you never thought that you could. So that's that's understandable. That yes. that's a beautiful that's actually something that to consider as well. Because when you're budgeting a certain movie, you have to also count in the accountability of reshoots. You also have to count that in as well. That goes in with your budget. Some people forget that when you do reshoots, yeah, it's mandatory. Yes, it, it happens in the in this filming world, but that's also counted into your budgeting, into your PR as well. And if your money is being blown over other stuff, you're not going to have a good marketing campaign. You're also not going to have good reshoots or anything like that. It's going to be catastrophic for your film that you're trying to put out. So that's another thing, too, that people forget that this is a business. And because it's a business, you have to deal with the budget. You have to deal with what works, what doesn't work, and do self-sacrificing to make a better film. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a business. And that's one of the things that I teach young filmmakers to understand the business aspect. You know, people all the time come in with these ideas that I think is really great. But then when I talk to them, I say, although your idea is really great, either I don't have anybody who is buying that particular program at this particular time, or it's just not viable for the market at this time. Doesn't mean that your idea is not good. It's just that there is no one who's interested in that. You know, it's like making a, a movie about paper mache. And everybody's in the age of metal. Nobody really cares. It's a great idea, but nobody's interested at this right. moment. Right. But also, too, it's also about, too, how does this scene make sense for what you want to do? And does this fit in with the budget that you're wanting to do as well? Because yes. it may be a great idea on paper, but from paper to screen, it may not work. It may not adapt well. And then you're putting that much money into doing something that may not work. You could save the flavor for later on if you choose to do so, but for right now, it doesn't work in, in a cohesive standpoint that you think that that person might think it works in. Yeah. And therefore, you have to go in and say, "Hey, look, as a as a producer, this is not. I like your idea, I like your concept, but right now, let's just pump the brakes a little bit right here. We'll come back to it later on. We'll chalk it up on the board. If if it happens to land, we'll try and do it. But if not, I'm not going to put my budget into something that may make this movie um, make people not even want to see the film, or it may take them out of a certain scene. 
And that's a big thing that for me is as someone that views and reviews movies and stuff like that all the time, there might be something that a character does or a certain scene to the point where it's like, okay, what, what's up with that set piece? Because that set piece alone can take somebody out of the movie going experience. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a good call on your part to say, Hey, look, as someone that's trying to get into the industry, you might need to go ahead and just relax a little bit. I understand what you're trying to do but right now. You know, just watch. Just, just let's see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, especially when it comes to putting stories together, uh, the one thing that's very important, which is character development. A lot of times, people don't do a lot of time developing character storylines, and you need to make sure things are in the story that is moving the story along. If it's not moving the story along or it's going to another place, you need to take it out. Because it's, if, if you're looking, doing a movie where people are distracted by somebody's jury, they're distracted about something that's in the car, then they're not paying attention to the story. They need to be paying attention to the story and not to be distracted by these other things that don't have anything to do with the story. Exactly. Because, you know, you could also have another thing, too, where maybe that certain camera angle may not be working right between the dialogue and stuff like that with another character, too. And that could also set a different tone as well. Yes, this is very true. The other element uh, to the story, and I kind of touched on it before, I guess you said something initially, was the idea of the music. Uh, I Traditionally, when you do movies, a lot of times... They go and license songs. I didn't want to do that. One, I wanted to give opportunity to indie artists who were out there working and trying to make things happen. And I, so I sought out, I talked to a lot, of, a lot of indie artists who were willing to do original songs based off the movie. So they just didn't do a song. It had something to do with the movie that we could have a final place in it. And so I was able to find three, two, I was able to find four artists who was doing that. Now, the Caleb Truth character, which is not a real person, is actually a character. This guy, he was not a rapper. He was not a rapper per se, you know. So we had to work with him to do it. And he did like a really great job. And uh, one of the reasons why I initially did the music video is because in, in the story, it's about a guy, ex uh, a gangster rapper turned pastor. Right. There is, um, because of just the constraint of shooting, there was no performance in the story. So we had to go back and shoot a music video and place it in the movie just so, because you can't have somebody who's an artist and then we never see them perform. So we had to you know, find a place to put it in there so it kind of would make sense. But this, he did such a great job. You wouldn't even know that he wasn't, he wasn't a rapper. Right. I have no idea that he wasn't even a rapper or anything like that because of the fact that you guys did such a great job working with him to where it was actually believable to the point where I was thinking, is this guy a rapper? Because of the way that he was rapping, the way he did everything. I like the music. I just want to point that out. I thought the uh, music for Church was really good. It has that classic of a Southern rap kind of style mixed in with maybe a New York kind of style, too, as a little bit of a, you know, cohesive thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the artist, uh, he is, his name is Case Slay. He is from uh, Detroit. He's from Michigan. So he's a Midwestern guy. He lives in Texas. It just kind of just really worked well. The producer, Lamar uh, Jones, Lamar, he's from uh, Houston. And one of the other writers uh, who actually has a song on trial, 86, he, they worked with him to, to, to write and put the song together. So it came out really well. I think so too. I think it works very well balanced, to be honest with you. I think Church is probably, if if I would have to categorize it, I would actually put it in there with Hustle and Flow mm -hmm. with when you look at soundtracks and stuff. 
to be honest with you, because it that song alone tells a story within itself, and it also sets the tone and the bar for the movie and the tone that you're trying to go for. Yes. Yeah. So we have uh, three other music videos we're going to do. We're going to release them uh, in doing the process of the movie. You're going to do one with uh, for Hustle, which is the title track by Rosie Bush and uh, uh, Chasing Cake by Nat- Natalia J. And then 86 did Keep Grinding. All the songs are in the movie, but we're going to do actually separate music videos for each one as we, uh, you know, market the uh, soundtrack uh, throughout the uh, next six or seven months. That's awesome, though, man. That's that's really awesome. It's also clever. It's original. It's authentic. It's something that I would listen to in my own car, to be honest with you. And also, too, I want to go back on what you said about the fact that with the music alone, if you get like licensed music, that's expensive. It is. Licensed music is expensive. But my thing is, I really try to, although it costs more, and it's a cost, I can go and license the music. But I want to try to make an authentic experience. I don't want to do a cookie cutter thing. I want to try to do music that fits what I'm doing instead of trying to have to go and look this is a whole bunch of songs. Let me find something that really fits. Let me find some people, some artists who are homebrew who really want to get out there and work. The soundtrack is out now. It came out about a month ago. It's on all platforms. So it, it when you listen to the songs, you would you wouldn't think is you would think it maybe somebody you know we we planted those, but these are songs that these artists work on really hard to really match what the movie is about that makes sense for the scene. And to really, they did a really good job. I, I'm really proud of if anything outside of the movie. I'm very proud of the soundtrack. You should be. I think the soundtrack is the best thing about this film, aside from Ebony and, of course, and stuff like that. I think that's one of the best things about this. Like I said, the soundtrack can tell the story. And if you're, you can picture yourself walking down the street with Ebony, you can picture this corrupt church, you can picture other elements within the soundtrack itself to the point where you're basically being able to follow this character with the music, which is a hard thing to do when you look at soundtracks. Because some soundtracks work, some soundtracks don't. With this one, in this case, it does work with yeah. the story that you're trying to tell. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm sure, sure the artists, too, they appreciate it, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I think that's everything uh, that I had want to cover as far as this interview goes and stuff like that. But People in the live chat, if you're still watching this or anything like that, if you have questions for John, go ahead. We'll take another 10 minutes or so answering questions. If not, I'm going to go on ahead and end the show and everything and stuff like that. But, John, I just want to say it's this was a huge privilege to be able to – I appreciate the fact that you responded to me and that when I reached out, and I'm glad that you introduced me into this world of Ebony. I do appreciate that so much from you. So without that, I would have not known about um, this movie. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Shows like this, uh, talking to other independent filmmakers, talking to other people, getting the word out. You know, you can find a lot of stuff about Ebony Hustle by going to ebonyhustle.com. You can follow uh, London Town Pictures on Instagram or through my Instagram post or my social media, which is John Wayne. S-I-I-I on every single platform. It's the same thing. So nobody has to try to figure out, you know, I don't have like, you know, Gummy Bear Joe or anything like that. It's all John Wayne S. the Third on every single platform. And even if you just Google me, John Wayne S. the Third, you should be able to find a lot of everything you want to know about Ebony Hustle. It comes out December 1st to uh, Fox uh, Television's uh, Tubi platform. It's going to premiere there on December 1st. If you follow us or 
uh, get onto uh, the website and sign up for updates, you'll get it. It's going to premiere there. And then on the 15th of December, it's going to go to all the other platforms. So in the end, it'll be about, about 30, 40 platforms initially within the first six months. All right. And I do appreciate that. Uh, guys, if you guys want to go on and follow me underneath Movie Lovers TV Lovers Night on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Pinterest underneath those same brand names. Of course, you guys can get an audio only podcast episode of what we do here at Movie Lovers Night, wherever you guys get your major podcasts from. Of course, go to Good Pods. Good Pods is a great place that you can rate individual episodes. It's basically podcast. It's basically social media for podcasters. Go on ahead, check us out over there. Rate individual episodes. This episode will be on all platforms on the audio side tomorrow. So go on ahead, check this episode out if you guys want to go ahead. And revisit this episode again another thing too is if you guys want to go ahead and visit me on tiktok as well at movie lovers unit zero that's another place i do some promotional stuff from time to time and things like that also too if you want to go ahead and follow me on uh movie lovers unit on twitter if you're a sponsor would like to be on the sh- on the show as well just reach out to me at movie lovers at gmail.com and that's everywhere that you can reach me at also too also teamed up with two blur girls podcast and we're actually doing a little fundraiser for st jude's social children's hospital with Cincy. so if you want to go in and spend five to ten dollars with Cincy, all proceeds go over to the children's of st jude's hospital and that's what we're doing for the fundraising stuff and then of course guys if you want to donate to the page and everything all you have to do is donate five to ten dollars here at movie lovers unite at going to gofundme.com forward slash movie lovers podcast the links will be in the description notes for you guys to do that but i understand the pandemic has actually put holes in other people's pockets so you don't have to worry about that a simple like a simple share subscribing on the right hand side of the screen that you see here does a lot of things for this channel also too smashing that little bell at the bottom right hand corner also allows you to know that we have something new coming out and things like that and it's just not we're not doing anything when we are doing something a matter of fact i just released my stranger things teaser trailer it's called neighbors watching trailers so you guys can find that in the playlist of the neighbors watching trailers uh playlist and of course every monday we're doing our dexter after show so you guys can go on ahead is dexter new blood we're doing an after show for that at eight o'clock central time nine o'clock eastern six o'clock pacific time and then of course thursday i have independent actress rossi mccree with me we're doing a review for season one episode two of sweet tooth so go on ahead check that out at the same time at eight o'clock central time nine o'clock eastern six o'clock pacific time then of course on friday i'm doing american cycle review with independent actress jesse she's going to be back on here again we are we did the goonies review we're going to be doing american psycho from Christian Bale's film. So go on ahead, check us out at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific Time. And always until next time, guys, it's been real, it's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. Thank you so much, John, for joining me. I do appreciate it. It's been an honor and a privilege. I hope to have you back here again very, very soon. Anytime. I'm always welcome. I am now a member of the Movie Lovers Unite. Yes, you are. Welcome to the community. (laughs) And always until next time, guys. Bye-bye.